Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. My name is Brooke. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome to the next episode of the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. Um, I, for this episode, have a couple of things I want to address just first off in the beginning, and then... And I want to talk about, at greater length, something that um, I had commented on one of my videos that I think is really important to talk about and point out. So I want to talk about all of that. Um, the first thing that I wanted to say um, as an update is a really exciting thing. So as I've mentioned, I am speaking at an online women's conference. I'm talking all about finding joy in infertility. And the conference itself is in January, but tickets on, are on sale right now. And this week, even though the early bird pricing ended, I have a special link that I have for you guys to get a discounted rate just for this week um, just for everybody that listens to this podcast or watches my YouTube channel. So I will put the link for you and all you have to do by the end of this week is go to that link and purchase your ticket and you'll be all set and you'll get that extra special promotional price. So if you have not yet gotten your ticket for the conference, this is a great deal and um, I would love to have you join us for the conference. It's going to be really, really fun and incredible, and I am extremely excited <laughs> to talk about infertility um, and just the roller coaster and ins and outs of processing those emotions with infertility. So, that being said, um, I also, really quick, wanted to address something that um, I said in the Heart Issues episode, if you watched that, um, or if you listened to that, it was the last episode. Um, I talked about coarctation, aortic coarctation. <laughs> I always have to slow myself down when I say that. And I had mentioned... It was the expanding of the aortic valve. And I had somebody message me and um, point out that in the link that I put for more information, it actually said it's the narrowing. And they are absolutely correct. And I wanted to give this little caveat and correction to that. Um, I know the link I shared had it correctly, but I wanted to make sure... Um, if anybody didn't go to that link and see that I corrected that, I'll try to go back and correct it in the episodes, but until then, I wanted to mention that in this episode. Um, so aortic coarctation is the narrowing of the aortic valve, not the expanding. I got it flipped, um, so I really wanted to correct that because it was just my mind at the time had flipped it. Um, thankfully the link had it correct because it was an awesome resource on TSUS, but I wanted to also say it here. Um, and then 
the topic of this episode that I want to talk more in-depthly about was a comment I got on the video I did talking about being diagnosed um, and what that looks like, how that feels, what that process is like. And um, it is a huge topic because it's a huge experience getting diagnosed. And I go into super great detail about ways you get diagnosed, what different testing they can do. And I mentioned karyotype being the way that it is confirmed one way or the other, um, whether you have it and also if you are classic or mosaic Turner syndrome. So it gives you both of those pieces of information. And I had a comment on that video saying that um, they were actually doing further testing because sometimes karyotypes are not fully sufficient on their own. And it had to do with it being able to have different results depending on what cells you tested. So if you tested skin cells, it could test differently than blood. It could test differently than hair. Um, and I want to talk about that a little more in depthly because that is a really important piece to understand. And I've talked at length about how complicated Turner syndrome is, especially the genetics and the science behind it. Um, we may all have that same diagnosable condition, but I will forever and always preach how unique and different we each really are. And that is one way that that is for sure seen. Um, and it also goes... Um, to my video I did a while back correcting my thinking on the difference between classic and mosaic, I, in doing more and more research, in hearing more stories, in getting new information, have over the years slowly corrected and expanded my understanding of Turner Syndrome. And one of those ways is getting a better view, a better understanding to the extent possible, um, at least at this point, I'm definitely not done with it, but of the relationship between classic and mosaic and the true genetics behind Turner syndrome and what it can look like, um, and what it looks like on a cellular level and then why that manifests itself in the way that it does. Because it's not a simple thing. <laughs> it is not a simple thing. Um, it is something that truly m medical professionals and scientists are still perfecting their view on. And that is why a lot of them will not make <laughs> solid, specific claims. Because the nature of Turner Syndrome is such that that's just not possible to have that concrete of an answer. Because um, even if that's a concrete answer for one person, that does not mean it's going to be the concrete answer and guaranteed for the next. Um, 
my prime, prime example of that is how one person with Turner syndrome that is classic can have fewer health complications, fewer symptoms, fewer physical traits than somebody with mosaic. And that in and of itself is mind boggling to me. It just shows the true nature of Turner syndrome and like how volatile it really is. And you can't fit it in this neat little box. And to apply that to the karyotyping makes it really, really interesting because karyotyping is the test all of us know for diagnosing, right? Like it'll tell you what your chromosomes look like. However, just like the comment said, it can change depending on where you test. A blood test can come up with a different karyotype than a hair follicle, than skin cells, because not all cells are made the same. And part of, in that video where I explained what I had learned and how I had changed my thinking, um, I refer to a TSUS convention video. So it was the Turner Syndrome Convention probably three or four years ago at this point, I think. I think. Um, I can link that YouTube video for you guys. Um, but the basis of it was I pointed to this part in it where this doctor said her colleague said he would never or he believed that any living girl with Turner syndrome was to some degree mosaic just for the fact that they survived. So while those of us that are classic, as I'm classic, are definitely on the more at risk end of things, we're, if you read in a textbook, going to be the ones that have more risks, that have more complications. There's no real way of predicting that, and it's it's not so much a rule of thumb as a guidance for attempting to understand, and all of that is always being updated and further expanded on. And one of the stipulations in that was if a girl was fully classic, every single cell in her body only had one organism, or one, one organism, one chromosome. It's been a long, long week, guys. Um, one chromosome, then she would not be able to survive. So, depending on where you tested, she could still have classic cells show up, and the majority of her cells be classic, but not all. And I have kind of always thought how, and this is just my guess, this is by absolutely no means anything based in medical research. This is just my, like, if I had to venture a guess as to what happened that made those variations 
um, it would be what the cells that were damaged turned into. The cells that had the, the mutation, what they turned into, what, what type of cell they turned into after they mutated. If they became a reproductive cell, that's probably guaranteed infertility. Um, if they turned into a heart cell, that could mean they have more heart issues. Um, it, it all depends on what that cell turns into and where it goes in the body, is my guess. Once again, completely my guess, not based off of any actual research into that, not like just my theory. I'm not even going to say hypothesis because I don't know how to test that. I don't know if there is a way to test that. But I, I think it's really intriguing that depending on where you test, it could test differently. So I may be classic in every blood test I've had, but if they looked at my hair, it may be mosaic or my heart or skin. It, it, that is so intriguing to me and just speaks to the uniqueness. So this person commenting and saying that a karyotype was not sufficient enough in every scenario makes complete sense to me. Because if you're testing one area, that's not giving you as much of a picture. Now sure, blood tests are typically very reliable for things. Um, testing blood is probably the most common used way of testing certain things. I feel like it's usually very reliable. However, with how diverse and unpredictable Turner syndrome is, it, it makes sense that testing one area would not be sufficient enough. And to get a better picture of what's going on, you would need other tests. Um, that's why we have multiple types of screenings. That's why we try different things. <laughs> that's why not all medication works the same for everybody. We are all so unique, and Turner Syndrome is not a condition that is a cookie-cutter kind. It's more complicated than that. And... I just, I really appreciated the, the experience, hearing that story, hearing somebody else's experience. Um, I have never had other tests be offered. Um, when they did the amniocentesis while my mom was still pregnant with me, it showed that I was classic. And then they just said, you know, there'll be another blood test to do a karyotype after she's born, but... That's, that's what we're seeing right now. And it was, it was something that was definitely confirmed. Um, it was also something that me and my mom really always kind of guessed it might be not the whole story. Um, few symptoms and health complications I've had. Um, you know, textbook-wise, that would be mosaic, not classic, yet 
I tested classic in both amniocentesis and the blood karyotype later. I do wonder if I would test differently if they did another type of test, but either way, it's a really intriguing thought and something that I think is just yet another reminder that we really have to focus on our individual case and our specific story. I say story because I feel like this is a journey. I feel like it's not a simple answer usually and it's not a destination. We don't get to one place with something and then get to say, oh yep, yeah, okay, handled, done, over with, and close that chapter. I mean, we can have things that are like settled for the moment, but there will always be the evolution of things that we, we have to go along with, you know, and just see what comes our way and be as prepared as we can. And yeah, that just, I had not heard somebody say that before or heard somebody have a doctor tell them that before, but it didn't surprise me. Um, and I think it really speaks to what the doctor I quoted said, which was they, they, they don't say any absolutes. <laughs> They, they don't make absolute assumptions, especially those that are actively studying the Turner Syndrome research going on. They understand that that is not that black and white or predictable and cut and dry. And so they don't make absolute statements. They make very vague statements because that's what's most accurate, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, I think we've come a really long way to understanding more and doing that further testing beyond a karyotype is definitely to me evidence of that because we're adapting to what we know Turner syndrome to be. We know it is not always that easy and especially this case was a case where they suspected she was mosaic. They probably have seen evidence of that and had, had it confirmed, but, um, in that scenario, especially, they understand it's not going to be that easy. And even within Mosaic, all the different cells are going to test differently. So it could be different variations of Mosaic. It, it could be so many things. And I, I just really did appreciate the awareness that that showed. Um, especially from a doctor that is working with patients. I don't know if this was somebody that was heavily involved in research or not, but I know I have myself personally experienced a really vast difference in doctors that are, even if they're not involved in the research, they're in connection with the research community. So they're hearing things, they're seeing all of the stuff coming out of the research and they're hearing all the different stuff people are trying and finding and it, they're so up to date on things. It's incredible. And 
it is a very different experience working with a doctor like that versus somebody that is head down working with patients and that's kind of it. Um, yeah. So I am curious what tests it was that they did, if they were just testing different areas or what, but, <laughs> um, it, it just brought that home even further. And I really appreciated hearing the actual story. So while I do believe karyotypes are accurate, I think the real question with this isn't that they're not accurate. It's more sufficient. Like they said, I think they worded it really, really well in the comment they left that it was not sufficient on its own to fully understand what was going on to get the bigger picture. And sometimes you have to push for that. In this situation, they obviously have a really great doctor that understands things really well and recommended it themselves. Um, unfortunately, not everybody has that. And sometimes you do have to be your own advocate, like I've talked about, and push for it when you don't think you have enough information and you don't understand enough to get the full picture of things. Um, so I wanted to touch on that and address that comment. I really appreciated them sharing and I just thought it was super, super interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I wanted to do this whole episode mostly talking about that because I talked about it a little bit in the video I mentioned. Um, but I don't think I ever talked about just that for the whole thing about karyotype testing being different in different cells at least not on its own. <laughs> so I really wanted to talk about that. Um, and I appreciate you guys hanging out with me and discussing it. Um, in the comments, educating Rita says, sadly, not everyone has access to further testing, but it really does help understanding this and how to better cope with it. Absolutely. I think even if it's, you know, not as applicable to our situation, maybe, or it's not... <laughs> as simple of a situation, we can always glean something from hearing other stories. And that's why I encourage others to share their stories. And then she also said, luckily for us, we are not alone. Absolutely. And that's another huge aspect of this is the community and support, whether it's others with Turner syndrome or just our friends and family. Um, just that support is incredible, um, especially having others that can understand, you know, connecting with others that have it is huge, um, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me and chatting. Um, I hope this was helpful and I, I really hope you got something from it that was encouraging, um, and it helped your understanding of Turner syndrome a little better. Um, I really appreciate you guys hanging out and I will talk to you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you.
Don't forget, you can find the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brooktv. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out, and I will see you guys in the next episode.